0: This is the current federal tax development for the week of October the twenty-third, twenty twenty-three. Current Federal Tax Developments are brought to you by Capital Financial Education and by your State Society of CPAs. This week we're going to look at the fact that P10 renewals are now open for 2024. The IRS has announced a program to allow for withdrawal of ERC claims. And we'll talk about an actor's estate that loses in an attempt to claim he had validly rolled over a non-traditional investment held in his IRA. Let's start with the P-10 renewals. Now this is from the IRS tax professional P-10 system dated October the 19th, 2023. Now the IRS has opened the P-10 systems for renewals at this point. So hey, that's probably good news. All tax preparers will need to either renew or obtain a P-10 before preparing returns for 2024. Obviously if you're paying returns at 23, you need to have a 23 one already. If you're just starting for some reason this late, uh, you'll need to go get one, but that's something that should have already been discussed with you. The price to renew is down to $19.75. That's a decrease which was previously announced related to the IRS loss in the tax court on this issue. And you'll need to again, confirm you're aware of the requirements to maintain the security of your client's data. Uh, That's mainly so that you can't claim later if something goes wrong that, hey, I never knew. That's the last box you're going to check before you basically go to pay for your P-TEN. Again, probably a good idea to put this together now because it's starting now. Uh, But just, just be aware we're now down that path. Now, the big news this week was the IRS announcements for a voluntary withdrawal program. This is entitled from the Employee Retention Credit. It is a fact sheet we'll look at, which is Help for Businesses Test Withdrawing employer Employee Retention Credit Claim, Fact Sheet FS 2023-24, on October 19th. On the same date, the IRS issued a news release and they put up a page for the employers to use to walk through how they'd go through the program. Now, when they announced a temporary suspension of processing of new ERC claims in September of 2023, indicated two new programs would be announced in the fall first be a program to voluntarily withdraw claims that had not yet been paid or which had been paid but the refund check had not yet been cashed or deposited and that's this program as well as a program for those who have been paid to voluntarily return those funds with maybe certain additional relief that program has not yet been announced so be aware of that now to do this program you have to meet four criteria First, you must have made a claim on the adjusted employment tax return from 941X, 943X, 944X, or CT1X, not on the original 941. If you have an original one that hasn't been processed yet, uh, there's some problems, but that, that this isn't the program to withdraw it. Uh, you filed the adjusted return only to claim the ERC. You made no other adjustments on that uh, amended return. If you did, this is not the program for you. Also, you want to withdraw the entire amount of your claim. If you just want to reduce it, this is not the program for you. And the IRS has either not paid your claim or they paid the claim, but your taxpayer has not cashed or deposited the refund check. Now, some that don't qualify, but they have some advice for if you want to reduce the amount of your credit or make other changes to the return, the adjusted return. The ERC FAQ page has information for both of those cases. They updated that as of October 19th, uh, specifically telling you how to handle those situations. Right? Now, if you're, if you call, if you otherwise you meet the four criteria, if you use a payroll service, they do tell you, you have to contact the payroll service. The payroll service applied for on your behalf. You have to contact them because they may very well have filed one large claim for everybody. And assuming they did that, They have to process the refund claim on them. You cannot file your claim if you went through that system, at least until you get the go-ahead from the payroll service, it's okay to do so. So if you went through paychecks, ADP, whatever, contact them to see what to do next if you want to withdraw. What if you've not received a refund or not notified an exam? This is the simplest approach for this. If you do that, you make a copy of the adjusted return that you sent in it has the claim you want to withdraw so get a copy of that in the left margin of the first page write the word withdrawn in the right margin of that page you want to sign and date have an authorized person sign and date it and write their name and title next to their signature right uh, then you want to fax a copy of the return to the irs erc claim withdrawal fax line at the phone number 855-738-7609. This is the withdrawal request. You want to keep this with your tax records. Uh, They do have instructions for those who cannot fax a return. What they're going to tell you to do if you can't fax a return is they're going to want you uh, to basically send it in mail, but have it traced. That'll be the key. They strongly prefer the fax. If you can make it work, make the fax work. Now, what if you've not received a refund, but you've notified you're under audit? Prepare the withdrawal request just as with the prior case, but don't fax or send it in. If you've been assigned an examiner, you should communicate with the examiner about how to fax or mail the withdrawal request directly to them. You're gonna go through the examining agent. If your case has not yet been assigned an examiner, but you have an audit notice, you should respond to the audit notice with the withdrawal request, using the instructions in the notice for responding. We're gonna respond to it. We're gonna basically use that and attach the request that we would have faxed in uh, presumably that'll then be handed on to whoever going to be assigned to our case and they will work through processing it assuming it goes through if you did receive a refund check but you've not cashed or deposited it yet uh, you know you're going to mail the voided check with your withdrawal request you're going to pre- prepare that claim withdrawal request <laughs> as in the prior two cases but again, don't fax it this time. Only fax it if you've not yet received a check. Right? In this case, go ahead and write void in the endorsement section on the back of the refund check. The clients cannot deposit the check in their bank account, then write a check to the IRS. That does not work. If they deposit the check, they are not eligible for this program. So they have to have not deposited it. Mail the voided check with their withdrawal request. Prepare the claim, like we said, do that in line. Uh, include a note that says ERC withdraw and briefly explain the reason for returning the refund check and then make copies of everything. Front and back, the voided check, the explanation notes, the sign in data withdrawal page, keep that in your records. I would tell every client, you know, that that's in process right now, that might be considering this about, well, here's what we're gonna have to do. If you get a refund, if you get a check, don't cash it. And that's also going to be true if you've sent in the withdrawal request. So the next day a check comes in, I would again not cash it, right? We we'd start working something different. That's going to happen to somebody. Right, there it is. Now I also say if you ha- if you did get the check, don't staple, bend or paperclip the voided check, uh include it with a withdrawal request, mail it to the IRS at an address in Cincinnati, uh PO Box Cincinnati Refund Inquiry Unit, PO Box 145500, mail stop 536G in Cincinnati. Okay. Um Make sure you track your package to confirm delivery. And I'd probably suggest using registered mail for this. It's just going to be the simplest approach. Um, In essence, that that gives the highest chance it doesn't get lost. There's a reason why you use registered mail for like stock certificates and the like. Uh, I'd I'd consider paying for it in this case just to avoid the hassle problems. They will notify you if your withdrawal request has or hasn't been approved. If it's not approved, you want to figure out why it wasn't. If it's a simple fix, get it fixed. If, however, the IRS provides limited details, there has to be at least some concern about why that's true. And that has to be, you know, are they considering a potential criminal referral? And again, that's most likely going to occur if they believe your clients invented employees, right? Or done something else that clearly you should have known was wrong. They didn't really pay any wages in the quarters in question. Uh, Could look bad if your client never actually filed the 941 to begin with uh, that'd be a bad move, you know, things like that. So obviously consider that because you could be your client's own worst enemy. Uh, if in fact there is a CID referral, if you continue to work with them, because anything you learn, you can be forced to testify. So, you know, if it appears that, that there's, you know, and Hey, clients sometimes lie to you. So, and you don't want to find out about the lie. So again, if not tell me you probably should go seek legal because there are very few reasons why they should reject. And if they're not the obvious ones, then yeah, we need to look at it. Uh, somebody needs to look a little more detail. Uh, if you have received a refund, the IRS is working on guidance we released this fall. Unfortunately, they've not said they're pausing, uh, issuing exam notices at this point. That means that if your client does believe they've, you know, received a refund, they shouldn't have received any, um, Is it going to be better to file and pay back now? Uh, Or is it going to be better to wait? Because in the interim, exam notice could appear. But the program give them a break. Will they give that break back to those who filed earlier? I suspect they will. But it's something to discuss because the IRS may be suspicious if you got the exam notice and now you file. And that may turn into a problem. So I think it's time to have a clear discussion if we have that issue. Right? What's going on? If you have an employer with a valid claim who's not yet filed, uh, the statute limitation continues to run those claims. Remember the 2020 claim statute runs for most taxpayers, runs out on April 15th to 24th. So if you're a client, and why are they out there? Um because you know the ERC mill ads were so over the top that a lot of them just considered the whole program to be fraudulent. They don't want anything to do with it. But if they actually qualify, they should do it. If you can get in there, they have, especially if they have a drop in revenue that you can document well, uh, you know, they really should do it, but you need to make sure it's clear. But you do need more than the word of a consultant getting paid a contingent fee, they qualify. Well, I'm sure there were some people that took contingent fees that, that were doing it all correctly and everything's right. We do know the IRS considers contingent fees to be a red flag. So it would be very useful to get a second opinion in this mix and probably, you know, have that person be to the extent you're involved, you know, have that person ready for exam work rather than necessarily worrying too much about the consultant. Uh, because again, you know, we don't want to get into that. Uh, we would like to avoid that issue. So we'll see what's there. And certainly if you do a claim right now, I would try to make it very clear as many details. as I can, I know some people like to do skeletal claims, as little as is required uh but in this case i'm afraid that's going to just open you up immediately make you far more likely to be examined and the exam is going to be a bad the exam is going to be nasty even if you prevail so we prefer to avoid it until now the practical problem is the fee the consultants want it's not likely they're going to agree the claims are invalid so if you withdraw a two million dollar claim there is a 25 percent contingency fee Uh, they're going to, they may very well demand the client pay $500,000. Um, if they won't back down from that and the claim's not valid, they probably need to get legal counsel involved to attempt to get the fee waived. I, I suspect that that's probably the only way it's going to happen is if they're convinced they might be hauled in court and they're going to have to justify what they did. A lot of them would prefer not to do that. I would assume. So if it's bad, go there, but be there. But as I say, don't, don't assume you'll get it. Finally, we're going to talk about the estate of James Conn versus Commissioner. So, this is a tax court published decision, 161 TC number six, issued on October the 18th. Okay? Now, per the opinion, this is a great statement in it. This case is a quintessential quint, quintessential Yeah. Example of the pitfalls of holding non-traditional, non-public trade assets in the IRA. Failure to follow the labyrinth of rules surrounding these assets can mean forfeiting their tax advantage status. And this case is reported, though, because key issue to be decided here was whether the tax court has the authority to review an IRS decision not to grant extension of a 60-day rollover. The court will hold that it does. But the bad news is for the taxpayer those sold the IRS didn't abuse their discretion. But it is a little bit of good news in that if you filed for a 60-day rollover uh, waiver, the IRS doesn't grant it, in theory you know if you really thought you were right you could put the money in wait for the wait for the IRS to try to assess the tax and then come back and go to court cuz you've got at least a ruling that they could review it now in this case James Khan you may remember actor best known probably for his role in the Godfather uh back in the 70s i think that was the 70s or was the 69 anyway it's back away's uh he had a financial team though that took care of his rather substantial investments he had a very very successful career over many decades right that includes his ira his ira held a partnership interest in a non-publicly traded hedge fund right now there's a problem here because that's not going to report a you know a fair value and under the irs rules uh you know the rules and the law regulation of law the custodian must provide a value a fair market value for that annually and ubs was not you know ubs was not going to be responsible for that uh, so they had an agreement with Mr. Khan, it was really with his advisors that evaluation must be provided annually. Okay. As we said, it is required under the law. Now, the financial advisor in 2015 moved from UBS to Merrill Lynch, and he looked to move the IRAs there. And this is where things go off the rails. Right? This is where the problems occurred. Now, everything else in the IRA held assets that were publicly traded easily transferred merrill lynch accepted them it's not stated openly but it appears that merrill lynch absolutely would not hold that partnership and i suspect it's partially because they want to be in the mess that ubs gets in here Um, so in any event though the partnership did not transfer but the advisors didn't notice that the partnership did not transfer until late 2016 because like the k-1 came out and it still showed ubs right UBS as custodian of the IRA for Mr. Khan. Um, so eventually, you know, the guy that moved to Merrill Lynch said, well, shouldn't that have been retitled to Merrill? And of course, they went through the whole mess. And again, they couldn't get it retitled to Merrill. That was it. So eventually, they sold the partnership interest and deposited the money into the new Merrill Lynch IRA. As we'll discover, that will be a problem. Because putting it in the IRA turns out not to be the greatest thing in the world. Now, in the interim, UBS never received a value for the interest at the end of 2014. My guess is, you know, this guy assumed it was going to Merrill, he may have had a bad relationship with UBS at the end, we don't know. Uh, but any event, no value got provided. They tried to reach out to the partnership. It didn't give him a value. They then tried to reach out to, they sent letters to Mr. Khan and his advisors. In August, they said, we need this value. If we don't get it, we can't be your custodian. When they got no answer, they wrote again, demanding a value in indicating case. They didn't receive it. The interest be treated as distributed as of a specific date in November of 2015. Again, no answer was received. So as of that date, they distributed it, right? It was out, right? So in November of 15, they sent a letter again to all the parties noting that they had resigned Mr. Khan was now the owner of the partnership and that he had 60 days to roll it over or it's going to be taxed as a distribution. Again, no one reacted to this letter. Now, it's tough to know why they claim they never got the letters. The court will not buy that story. So I'll phrase that right there. Uh, they, they found it implausible. Uh, more likely, everybody assumed somebody else took care of it and nobody ever took care of it at all. Right. So what happens except for UBS? The first reaction came when a 1099-R showed up. That's probably the surprise to most people that suddenly there, people started moving, right? UBS was asked to, but refused to revise a 1099-R. That's what the guy that moved to Merrill said, well, fix it, you, you guys, you guys shouldn't have dis- distributed, et cetera, et cetera. So on the tax return, the tax preparer reported that is rolled over, of course, that's gonna match any 5498s, right? Not gonna work. The IRS issued a CP2000, right? And by the way, the the rollover came out, finally got cash over after he sold the interest. He sold the interest after the November date when it was distributed to Mr. Khan, after they noticed this, so in 2016, and uh, basically almost a year later when the money finally went in. So they sought a PLR for a late rollover, okay? And as we said, that's it. Now, one real problem is IRA rollovers of non-cash assets are subject to a same asset rule. That's not true under things from a retirement plan to 402, but is under 408. The court points out that distinction. So they could not put the cash in the Merrill Lynch account if the partnership interest had been received as a distribution. And the court found that UBS had distributed it. They also found that the IRS had not abused its discretion denying a 60 day rollover relief as the problem was not that the rollover was late it just wouldn't have qualified anyway even if they were allowed a late rollover this was an invalid rollover as an invalid rollover they really can't do anything with it so that turned out to be a problem um that's probably a good line to say that you really should be looking and be very, very careful about these self-directed IRA roller problems. We had cases on it before. This is not unusual. But this particular problem, uh, I suspect what happened was that Mr. Khan, having a really big account, was able to get UBS to agree to go ahead and have his funds, you know, hold this thing they don't normally hold. I doubt that your client with a, let's say even a million dollar IRA account would get this sort of treatment. You know, basically it's like, now we're not going to do it. They'd be like Merrill Lynch. We're not doing it. Merrill clearly decided they're not doing it, right, for for this account. Um, You know, but the problem was when the guy moved over, nobody really traced. Even though those letters came out, again, seemed to be a division of responsibility. The guy that moved from UBS to Merrill just kind of assumed, but apparently never noticed it, never got there. How they missed this was open. Uh, the other reason why I didn't believe they never got letters was because after the rollover, UBS didn't send any more statements about the IRA account. If, in fact, they thought UBS held the partnership, they somebody should have wondered why we weren't getting IRA statements, right? Nobody ever questioned that. That's why the court didn't buy it. Uh, these are very, very difficult to run. And the problem is, in this case, it appears that the guy running Point was probably the financial advisor who really isn't a tax expert the individuals with the you know who are doing his return and accounting they probably just assume that guy took care of it and anyway they're not really experts in this area if you're going to have a self-directed ira as the court said there are a labyrinth of issues and there are huge potential problems you really need to make sure the client has somebody who is clearly responsible on the team for verifying this thing stays in line. And it probably won't be that company you hired as trustee for a self-trusteed one in this case, right? I mean, in this case, UBS pretty much did everything they could. Just nobody paid attention to them. Uh, You know, it's a problem. And this is a huge difficulty. Um, So as I said, the one piece of good news is we do know now we can ask the courts to review if the IRS denies, denies this, but doesn't really mean it's going to help us that much. So this has been, this week I tried to keep relatively short, a uh, tax update because I figured you're pretty much burned out from tax season. Uh, if you have any questions, email me, Ed Zollers at If you want to, you can also uh, follow me on the connect sites for New Jersey, Arizona, right? Minnesota, uh, Illinois, Washington. I watched those and also discussion boards on Idaho. So keep your eyes there. Otherwise, we'll see. Next week will be a very interesting week with my travel schedule. So I'm going to be kind of in between going places on Saturday uh, and then going places on Sunday. So we'll see when it gets recorded, but, but we'll try to get something together. Otherwise, uh, you know, hopefully, if you have any questions, let me know. Otherwise, we will see you in the future with current federal tax development.